You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, Associate Editor at The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series on leadership during crisis, co-produced with the Capehart Podcast. The world was a different place when my guests took office in 2019. The COVID crisis took hold a year later and domestic politics have taken a turn. But Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker isn't shrinking away. When that draft ruling overturning Roe v. Wade was made public, the governor tweeted, and I quote, hell no, in Illinois, we trust women. Why do you feel compelled to say so publicly? I'll ask him. You see him right there. Governor Pritzker, welcome to Capehart on Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Governor. So answer the question, why did you feel compelled to send send that tweet out and, and speak out so publicly and forthrightly? You know, my mother took me marching on behalf of women's rights and women's reproductive rights in the 1970s when I was young. And I really haven't stopped marching and being an activist on behalf of reproductive rights. Uh, Roe v. Wade is something that uh, should uh, be a concern to everyone. Uh, it's If it gets overturned, we're going to see not only uh, wiping away of women's rights to get an abortion, but we're also going to see the potential for eliminating marriage equality, eliminating birth control, uh, and many other rights that have been established under that uh, rubric of the right to privacy that was written into Roe v. Wade. Right, and that's actually something I've written a column about. You know, after reading those those 98 pages, that was the first thing that came to mind that my own same-sex marriage could be invalidated given the arguments that were in in that ruling. But let's stick to a, to abortion here because you also refer to that draft ruling as quote an atrocious opinion. I'm just wondering, should a, should a sitting governor attack uh, attack a draft? that can still change. Well, you're damn right. Uh, it's important for us all to, to uh, speak out, to make sure that our voices are heard. Uh, we need the voters to show up and vote on this issue because ultimately that's how uh, Supreme Court justices get onto the Supreme Court. Uh, so we need to make sure that we have senators who are pro-choice. You know, we could have, uh, if we had enough pro-choice senators, we could have seen a federal law passed to protect women's rights. We've done that here in Illinois. We have a supermajority pro-choice legislature. Uh, and not only did we remove our trigger laws several years ago, but, but a couple of years ago, we also enshrined uh, women's right to choose and abortion rights into our state law. So, uh, you know, it's important to speak out. It's important to make sure that people know that they can't do this, take away rights that have been established for 50 years. You know, this country has been expanding rights for people, uh, human rights, civil rights, for decades, and now all of a sudden we're gonna take those rights away. That's not uh, the way this country operates. That's not what's uh, you know best for the people of this country. And so, yes, I think it is my, not only my right, but my duty to speak out. You know, Governor, I'm glad we're having this, co this conversation because you know, when folks hear Roe v. Wade, when they hear abortion, it is instantly deemed um, a a women's issue, especially a women's reproductive issue, but 
it's a it's a women's issue. Why is it important, Governor Pritzker, for men to speak out about what could potentially happen with the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Well, there are two big reasons. One is because, again, this isn't just about uh, a woman's right to choose. It's also about this larger set of privacy rights, and that affects men and women. Uh, and second, and this is hugely important, that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, you know, the people who will be most affected by this are uh, are people of color, people who are in marginalized communities. Uh, and the, the effect on women has an other effect on the men. Um, you know, we're the allies in this effort, right? This is, um, this is something that, I, I mean, again, I've, I've been fighting for this my whole life. The, the women around me, my, my, my wife, my daughter, uh, the, the fa extended family of mine, my neighbors and friends, they're all affected by this. So we all need to band together to stand up for these rights. Right. And I was I was thinking of a comment that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made just a couple days ago about the fact that, you know, if the, the right to choose goes away, it could, and she said, set women back decades. And the economic impact of that, uh, not just on women, but on the country and on the American family, on, on families, however the, they are defined, um, would take a huge hit. It was a brilliant comment. Uh, she she articulates something that we don't often talk about, which is the economic consequences of taking away people's rights. How we're going to, you know, move backward as a society. Uh, women won't be able to go get a job because they'll be forced to have a child, maybe at a moment in their lives when they can't afford to do so. Uh, and, you know, the woman who stood up with me at the abortion clinic in Southern Illinois just recently uh, said she was on her way to college and she had just broken up with her boyfriend and found out that she was pregnant. And if she had had to carry that baby to term, she wouldn't have gone to college and she wouldn't have been able to achieve the things she's already achieved in her career. And she wants to be able to choose when it is that she's going to have a family. That affects everyone in our society, in my opinion. And you're right, Janet Yellen articulated it so beautifully in a way that everybody should understand it affects them. Mm -hmm. And I think you addressed this um, in, in the first answer, but I want to come at it so you, uh, in another way so you can talk about this some more. But uh, the right to choose, it, let's say Roe v. Wade is overturned along the lines of the, the Alito draft. Let's say that becomes the official opinion of the Supreme Court. The right to choose will then be up to all 50 state legislatures to determine their abor abortion regulations if that it does indeed happen. What will happen in Illinois if that indeed happens? Well, we removed the trigger law uh, back in 2017 with what's called, we called it HB 40. Uh, and it was something that back then people said, why do we need to do this? You know, Roe v. Wade isn't under attack right now. Why are we doing this right now? And of course, those of us who knew the direction the country was going under Donald Trump and the appointments he was making to the Supreme Court knew that there would come a day here. Uh, this has been a 50-year endeavor by the right wing to take away women's rights. So we got rid of the trigger law in 2017, and it, we forced uh, the, the governor then to sign it. 
Now, uh, in 2019, when I became governor, we put through what's called the Reproductive Health Act, which truly guarantees a woman's right to choose in Illinois. So that's not to say that it's in our constitution. It's not to say that if we elect a Republican right-wing governor or a, or a right-wing or Republican legislature that's anti-choice, that those rights couldn't be taken away. But as of now, we have enshrined in our law the protections that allow women to uh, go get an abortion if they need to or other reproductive services and make sure that they're covered by Medicaid. Uh, because most of the women who uh, really need to be able to access reproductive uh, choices uh, are often people who don't have the resources to do so, and we need to make sure that they do. And so uh, we've done that in Illinois. I'm proud of, we're an island, unfortunately, in the Midwest. If you look around us, I'm sure you've seen the map by now. Every state around us, Iowa and Kentucky and Missouri and, and Wisconsin and, and uh, 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 sorry, Wisconsin, Iowa, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, and Indiana, all would become anti-choice states. Uh, if this draft becomes the law of the land. And actually, that is a good segue to an audience question that we got in from Alaska, from Bob Wolf in Alaska. Will Illinois attempt to provide abortion services for women from surrounding states where those services are likely to become more limited? We wouldn't just attempt to do that. We are doing that now because unfortunately, reproductive rights have been limited in those states. They have Republican legislatures, all of those states. Three of them have Democratic, two of them have Democratic governors, three have Republican governors, uh, but they've all restricted reproductive rights. So we've already been seeing 10,000 women a year from outside of Illinois who come to Illinois to exercise their rights, uh, we think that number may triple as a result of the uh, the uh, passage, the decision that'll come from the Supreme Court. But uh, we've been preparing for this. So we're helping the clinics in Illinois to expand their services. Uh, we have uh, relocation. Uh, we have logistics centers that help people with relocation, that help them with the, their needs if they come to the state, a place to stay, a meal, whatever it is that they may need. Um, we think we're gonna have to step up those efforts now. You know, one of the things that was happening when it comes to um, trans kids, their state legislatures were not only making it making it impossible or banning, banning gender affirming care for trans kids in their states, but some states, I think it might, I think it might be in uh, Idaho, that would was going to make it um, criminalizing the the parents seeking care out of state for their children. And I could foresee a situation if Roe is overturned and it's shifted back to the states, that some states will criminalize women for going out of state to seek, to seek uh, reproductive care. Is that even constitutional? Can that withstand a legal challenge? It's a great question. Um, I don't think it would. Having said that, you know that Missouri and other states have considered these laws, right, to hold people either civilly or criminally liable if they assist somebody in getting an abortion uh, in another state. So uh, we're obviously deeply concerned about that because we do see as a result of the limitations on uh, the residents of Missouri, we're seeing a lot of women coming from Missouri 
to the the uh, health clinic that I was at just yesterday. And uh, can you imagine if someone who drove their friend or their relative to the clinic in Illinois is then held liable uh, in uh, Missouri, or let's take an even more uh, outrageous scenario, which is the people who work at the clinic and are providing care at the clinic are charged in Missouri with a crime. I mean, that that truly is seems unconstitutional to me. I, we certainly would challenge it. Uh, and we're looking in Illinois at the law that just passed in Connecticut uh, and to see how we can tighten up at the edges to make sure that law will be effective uh, for us and for other states that want to adopt it that will prevent uh, someone from getting charged or uh, held liable civilly. Mm -hmm. And as and as you were responding and I was off camera, I, I went to my phone <laughs> to triple check. Yes, it was Idaho that was considering a bill to criminalize uh, parents seeking gender affirming care for their kids out of state. Uh, but I also want to make another point for for folks who are watching and listening who might not know, and that is Illinois has sort of a democratic trifecta. You're a Democrat and the both both chambers of the legislature are Democratic. So um, the idea of a tussle between Democrats and Republicans uh, dominated chambers in Illinois, if Roe goes down, is not in the offing. So as no, probably, go ahead. But we had a Republican governor just prior to me and there was a tussle uh, and it was over this HB 40. Uh, the, the previous Republican governor threatened to veto HB 40. That was the bill that would remove the trigger law in Illinois. And he threatened for months to veto that bill. Uh, he received a lot of backlash. I mean, there was a lot of protest. I was one of those protesters. Uh, and I showed up at his office with thousands of postcards from people across the state uh, to let him know that if, if he did this, that, that uh, you know, the people of Illinois don't agree with the position uh, that he was taking. Now, he ultimately was forced into signing it. But that tussle would exist. You're absolutely right if we didn't have the Democratic and pro-choice trifecta, as you know. Uh, just being a Democrat doesn't mean that you're pro-choice. We saw that in the <laughs> United true. States Senate. There is a, one member of the United States Senate who refused to vote in favor of a woman's right to choose. There's another who's not pro-choice, but voted for the bill. And that was the courageous position to protect women's rights. Right, now that senator you're talking about, um, who's pro-choice, uh, um, um, actually is pro-life, but voted for the bill, Senator Casey, uh, of Pennsylvania. So but for folks who are watching, you are sitting in front uh, of a banner that says jbpritzker.com. Clearly, you are running for re-election uh, this fall. There's a divide between you and, the, uh, and any of your potential Republican opponents when it comes to the abortion issue. So I'm just wondering, how do you think the abortion issue will play out politically in the Republican primary, which is coming up on, on June 28th? It's a great question. Uh, we will see. What I can tell you is that every candidate on the Republican side wants to take away a woman's right to choose. Every one of them. They've all pledged to do that uh, to varying degrees. You know, there are some that want that uh, even believe that a woman should be forced to take a baby to term, uh, e even in the case of rape or incest. So uh, the, it's a radical agenda that they've got on the right. And, uh, and I think that because of the draft uh, opinion, you're seeing people wake up to the idea that 
that more and more your decisions about who you're going to vote for need to include the question, is this person going to stand up for my reproductive freedom? Is this person going to stand up for uh, the broad set of privacy rights that were established in Roe v. Wade uh, if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And, and that's becoming a major issue, even in Illinois. Uh, we've had big protests all across Chicago. Uh, I was just at one last Saturday, and they're having another one this Saturday. I don't think it's going to stop, and I think you're going to see a tsunami across the country of people who support women's rights coming out, and they're not just going to protest, they're going to vote. So then you think that the abortion issue is going to be a major factor then in the general election, once you have a Republican opponent, that that is going to be an issue that you will be running on this fall? Absolutely. But I, I want to say, though, I've been running on this issue and believing in this and protesting about it literally my entire life, uh, at least since I was very young. And uh, so it's not new to me, but yes, there's no doubt this is gonna be an important issue, not just in my election, but in the election of members of the legislature, in the election of Tammy Duckworth, our United States Senator, who's on the ballot this year. Uh, no, this is gonna be a very important issue in the fall election in Illinois. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about COVID. Governor, about uh, less than two weeks ago, you reissued a COVID-19 disaster proclamation extending um, COVID-19 rules through May 28th. Why? Well, let's start with we have a 30-day disaster proclamation that we can issue in the state. And as you know, even when you've got things like a flood, uh, they don't necessarily last 30 days or less. And so you've got to reissue a disaster proclamation in the event that the disaster is ongoing. So that's the reason that you saw me uh, reissue it. We've, we've had a rise in cases. We are still in the pandemic and we want to make sure that we can keep in place some of the provisions of executive orders that I put in place to keep people safe and alive. Um, I think our mitigations have been highly successful, although we have lost many people in our state as has happened across the country, uh, but we've done better than almost every other Midwestern state. Uh, we certainly would have lost thousands of more lives if we hadn't had a disaster proclamation and our uh, life mitigations that, to keep people alive. Uh, you know, my philosophy from the beginning has been uh, that this is about fighting to keep people alive. It's about, um, you know, maintaining lives and livelihoods. And I've leaned on the uh, the uh, side of keeping people alive because you can't have a livelihood if you don't have a life. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that there's a there's been a spike in cases. Um, they've risen 41%, they rose 41% um, by 41%, I'm sorry, um, early, at the beginning of this month. What do you think is causing this spike in cases? Well, there are some uh, new strains of Omicron, as you may have seen, that, that have been afflicting people across the nation. Uh, fortunately, what we've seen is that because we have great therapeutics that are out there, uh, because people understand what the mitigations are, they can put on a mask and when you go into a public place, make sure that you keep yourself safe and other people around you. Uh, and, and also we have one of the best vaccination rates in the Midwest. So that's done a lot to keep people safe. Our hospitalization rate is much lower than it was under the 
previous strain of Omicron. Uh, and I think, again, that has to do with the fact that we widely distributed vaccinations, uh, that we had 7,000 mobile vaccination units. We have the best record in terms of fighting COVID uh, from an equity perspective, making sure that black and brown people had access to and actually got their therapeutics and vaccinations. So um, we're doing reasonably well given the spike that you're describing. It also, the, 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 the surge that's occurring is from a very uh, low point. So when we say 41% increase, it's 41% off of a relatively low uh, point. So uh, just an example, uh, our hospitalizations are down 88% from the peak uh, during January. Um, and so we're at about, you know, 12% of where we, uh, you know, of where we were back then. Uh, and um, in addition, we're, we, although we are still seeing the loss of life, those numbers have come way, way down. So again, we don't like to see a spike in cases, but we're managing through. Mm -hmm. And so does that then explain, given what you just said, does that explain why um, while signing in this this um, declaration, this disaster proclamation, that you also didn't institute or reinstitute a mask mandate. That's right. We right now we've encouraged people who live in moderate transmission areas of the state, counties that have elevated transmissions, um, to wear a mask. You know, indoors when you're with a lot of people, uh, and you know telling people to be careful, especially the elderly, those who are immunocompromised, uh, making sure that we're communicating constantly, even now about vaccinations. Uh, we didn't give up on that just because we've had a lower set of cases. We're still communicating on television. I say it all the time, remind people it's time to get vaccinated, not just your original vaccination, your first and second shot, but a third, and in my case, because of my age, a fourth. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's an effective message. It really has worked. And uh, so we're seeing, uh, I think, some success uh, in Illinois, keeping our uh, hospitalizations down. And that's really the metric that we're using. Mm -hmm. Ah, so we're around the same age because I too have a fourth shot because I reached that, <laughs> that age that age threshold. Governor, we are, we are rapidly running out of time and I've got one more big topic to talk to you about and that's 2022. So the midterm elections are coming up. You hosted a Democratic Party fundraiser in Chicago Wednesday night with the president, with President with President Biden. His approval numbers, not so good. They continue to be very low in, in the low 40s in most polls. Two questions. Is he an asset to Democrats this fall? And will you campaign with him this fall in your own reelection campaign? Well, we are always pleased to have the president of the United States come to Illinois uh, especially reaffirming our values. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he's been good to Illinois. This administration has been helpful, especially getting through the pandemic, uh, but in so many other ways, and I think has been great for the rest of the nation too. Having said that, I understand what you're saying. I, I think that uh, the president has been tasked with so many enormously challenging things, not only getting past the health pandemic, but also the economic pandemic, the recession, uh, and look at, you know, 8 million jobs created under this president in a, a terribly difficult time. 
time. Uh, and we are seeing inflation that's that's eating away at people's buying power. Uh, we're doing everything we can in Illinois, lowering taxes on groceries and gas tax and uh, property taxes and sending people checks even now. Uh, and, uh, you know, so much of what the federal government has done a lot to lift people up. But, yeah, we've got to get through the war with uh, between Russia and, and Ukraine, which is affecting gas prices so severely, uh, and also get our supply chain working in the right way. This president's been tasked with a lot uh, to handle. Uh, they're not really state issues, many of those things, but, but some of them are. Uh, much of it is about federal uh, policies and whether the Fed will make decisions that will lower inflation. So we'll see how that goes. But, but look, there's no doubt about it. I've now been a governor two years under uh, Donald Trump as president and, and about a year and a half under the Biden administration. And I must say, it's like night and day in terms of the relief that we get from the federal government, the support that we get. And I know that he'll continue to work hard for all of us. So if I heard you correctly, um, the president is an asset to Democrats this fall. You would campaign with him. Yeah, I, look, I, I want to be clear that that uh, not every state needs to have the president coming in and, you know, and doing a lot of campaign stops. Um, uh, but I, I do I support. Look, I, I've been very clear. I had a fundraiser for him yesterday. I'm happy to, to tell you that we have a Democratic president. Um, I, I, that's that's very important. I mean, if, if you if you believe in a woman's right to choose, if you believe that we ought to have equity in our nation, uh, if you believe that that we need to create jobs for people who often get left out and left behind, uh, and if you believe that that this is a great nation that should be standing up against Vladimir Putin and tyrants like him, then we've got the right president. One more question for you uh, related to, to uh, the midterms uh, and particularly your, especially your race for governor. In two governor's races last year um, that I'm sure you watched closely, Republican Glenn Youngkin won out over Terry McAuliffe in, Democrat McAuliffe in Virginia. And um, New Jersey Governor Phil, Phil Murphy, Democrat, he won re-election, but by a much closer margin than anyone expected. Uh, should Democrats view those races as a wake-up call? Do you have any concerns that that pattern may continue in Illinois? There's no doubt that this is going to be a tougher year for Democrats than 2020 or 2018. But it's in large part because of the challenges that COVID brought on and, and the things that we're all living with now in the wake of the worst parts of COVID. Uh, so it, it's not because of democratic policies. In fact, we're the ones who have lifted people up. We're the ones who, in Illinois anyway, Republicans voted against budgets that were increasing, uh, you know, and funding police. They're, they voted against budgets that provided childcare and small business support and uh, and rent and and mortgage assistance. So, uh, and that's happened federally as well. So I want to be clear that uh, the Republicans may think they have an advantage, but when we remind voters that uh, it's Democrats that have rescued the economy. It's Democrats that have uh, kept people safe and healthy when Republicans like Donald Trump were working against all of those things. I, I think people understand and will show up at the polls in November and vote for Democrats. Governor J.B. Pritzker, 43rd governor of Illinois. Thank you very much 
for coming to Capehart on Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.